Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagleburg Church. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. My name is John, if we haven't met before. But before we dive in, I got to tell you about an event we had here at Eagleburg Church, the Lina Lakes campus. All seven campuses came together for an event called the Ground Zero Summer Takeover this week. We had over a 1,000 students each and every night having a blast, engaging in worship, listening to special guests, and, of course, confetti. So just three days ago, the Lionel Lakes Auditorium was filled with confetti, but best of all, told the total amount of students who came at least one of the nights was 1,263, and best of all, 90 students made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's an unbelievable event. I was there all three nights, and so thank you for being a church that supports you know crazy middle school students and all that stuff. But anyways, we are in the second week of a series titled, Will God Come Through? I think we've all asked that question, haven't we? Maybe some of you are even asking it right now, and each week by studying the Old Testament books of First and Second Kings, which by the way, if you weren't here last week or forgot to grab your Read Your Bible uh, booklet here, make sure you grab one of these to help guide you through these two books of the Bible over the next seven weeks. Make sure you grab one of those, but each week by studying these books, we're gonna look at how God will come through when we need things like hope, vision and courage. Last week, Jason Strand talked about how God will come through when you feel inadequate. And today, I want to begin by asking this question. Will God come through when you need wisdom? Wisdom to navigate life's most important decisions. Now, without raising any hands, how many of you are facing an important decision right now? Someone's like, does deciding between Chipotle or McDonald's count as important? I'll let you decide that. But Columbia University researcher Sheena Iyengar has determined the average person makes 70 conscious decisions a day. That's 25,000 over a year, 2 million over 80 years. It's been said we are a sum total of the decisions we make in life. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way. The decisions you make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. I mean, isn't that true? Decisions like Chipotle or McDonald's seem inconsequential, but decisions add up. Where you eat, where you go to college, what or if you study while you're in school, who you date, the person you marry, the place you live, the job you have, the friends you have, the faith you pursue. Every decision today becomes a story you tell tomorrow. Now, some of you have already made a lifetime of decisions. The stories you are living right now are a direct result of the decisions you've made over the last several years. But for most of us, we still have tens of thousands of decisions ahead of us. And the decisions you make today, there's still a story to live and tell. So the question is, when faced with a decision, will God come through when you need wisdom to decide. A couple of months ago, I was experiencing some discomfort in my teeth, but I was on my way to California with some friends, so I really didn't have time to get it checked out. But once we landed in California, this pain in my tooth became devastating. I was ready to go Tom Hanks castaway on that tooth and just <laughs> yank it out myself. Well, after tossing and turning most of the night, I decided to email my dentist for some help from California. Now, I don't know if you have your dentist on speed dial, but I do. I like to be on a personal get a hold of you whenever my pain reaches beyond my low threshold contact with all of my medical professionals. So on April 12th, and I have the email here, I wrote, Dear Dr. DeYoung, 
my back right wisdom tooth is killing me. I thought it was just sensitive, but I've been taking care of it for a few days and it's still in pain. Problem is I'm in California until Saturday, wondering what you think I should do. Any short-term remedies or should I come in? Please help. Now, I honestly wonder how many emails she gets from desperate patients. Maybe I'm the first one ever, but she graciously responded with some short-term solutions. When I got back to Minnesota, though, I needed to go in and get it checked out. And after checking things over, she said, you know, I think the best solution is to get that back right wisdom tooth removed. Now, time out for a second. I've always prided myself on the fact that I have all four of my wisdom teeth. I mean, I kind of like it when the dentist looks in and says, wow, you've still got plenty of room in there. It just feels oddly affirming. I need that affirmation. So, so when she said that the wisdom tooth needed to come out, my response was, oh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I, I'm speaking in like a couple months. I've got two kids at home. My, my schedule's difficult to coordinate. I just don't think I'm gonna be able to get that done. And her response was, you will literally be in and out in 15 minutes. It's simple, it's easy, and you'll be able to talk normal once the numbness wears off, plus it won't even hurt. Now, that's what all dentists say, okay, first of all. But second of all, I still was determined not to get that tooth removed. So on April 26, uh, this is now two weeks later, I decided of all things to email her, and I wrote Amy, now we're on a first name basis here. <laughs> I've been thinking, I wrote. I may hold off a bit on getting my tooth pulled. The place I was referred to didn't use my insurance. I think that's true. Plus it's not hurting as bad. Her response was, you could probably go anywhere. It's an easy tooth to pull. If you don't, you'll have to crown it. I promise it'll be easy. You can do it, she writes. Now how lucky am I? My dentist is also my motivational life coach. This is great. <laughs> Well, needless to say, my wisdom tooth is still there. But listen, Dr. DeYoung, who attends this church, she's learning of this for the first time, okay? I guess, I'm sorry, first of all, but I guess I'd rather confess it to 20,000 people than to you the next time I see you, so I just need to tell you here. But here's what I'm wondering. Why do I refuse to listen to the expert? Why do I refuse to listen to the one who has been trained who has my best interests in mind and has the wisdom to make the right decision. Why? Because I'm inclined to do what I think is best rather than someone who is wiser than I am thinks is best. And maybe I'm not the only one who does this. I mean, experts continually say the key to a healthier life is to exercise three to four times a week for 30 minutes a day, and yet how many of us actually do that? Study after study shows texting and driving is far more dangerous than drinking and driving, and yet, how many of us still sneak a text every once in a while? I mean, eat more fruits and vegetables, less sweets. Save more than you spend. Sleep seven to eight hours a night. Change your oil, floss your teeth. And yet, we are more often to, inclined to do what we think is best rather than what others who are wiser than we are thinks is best. And that's what happens in the scripture passage we're actually going to look at today in 1 Kings chapter 12. Now to give some context, King Solomon, whom Jason talked about last week, has just died. He was the third king of Israel and David's son. And so Rehoboam, Solomon's son, has now become the king of Israel. So the leaders and the government officials, along with this top official named Jeroboam, has summoned Rehoboam, and they wanted to give him this advice. They said this, your father 
and they're speaking to Rehoboam here. Your father Solomon was a hard master. They said, lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then we will be your loyal subjects. In other words, if you wanna have favor with people, reduce the labor demands and the taxes. Now, before Republicans start cheering here, this is not a scripture to dissect politically. Rehoboam is instead faced with a decision on how to begin well as the new king of Israel. So he says, give me three days to think this over and then come back and hear my answer. So he gathers a first group of people together for some counsel. And the first group that he gathers together are elders, these elders who counseled Solomon through the years. I mean, they had fought battles. They'd made some good decisions and some bad decisions, but you know, they'd learned and gleaned wisdom along the way, but they had built the kingdom of Israel alongside Solomon. And so this was their advice. The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. In other words, listen to the suggestion of your followers. But see, that's not the opinion that Rehoboam wanted to hear. So he goes about seeking a second opinion, which by the way, how often do we do that? We get an answer from people who maybe are wiser than us, but it's not what we wanna hear, so we go searching for a second opinion. So he gathers a second group together. These are young men that he grew up with as friends. Think of your high school buddies, okay? And these young men reply, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Okay, so now he's got the wisdom of the elders and the advice of his younger friends. What's he gonna do? I mean, three days later, the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision and answer. You probably saw it coming Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older counselors, and he followed the counsel of his younger advisors. In other words, he laid heavier burdens on his people. He listened to his young friends. Because of that one decision, Rehoboam had to flee the country. The people of Israel revolted, and the kingdom of Israel officially split into two. Now, Rehoboam eventually becomes king of the southern part, Judah, but with just two of the original 12 tribes of Israel, and the people make Jeroboam king of Israel with 10 of the original 12 tribes of Israel. And Rehoboam's story ends this way. There was constant war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. I mean, Rehoboam needed wisdom, and wisdom was available to him, but he listened to the wrong advisors, and it ended badly. An entire country was split into two because of that one single decision. I mean, think about that. Who you listen to, the people you surround yourself with will often be the difference between the right and the wrong decision. So let me ask you, who are you listening to? What kind of wisdom is influencing your life? Because whether it's today, tomorrow, or the weeks ahead, every single person will be faced with a decision that will require 
godly wisdom, and that decision will lead you down a path, good or bad, towards God or away from him. So by looking at the life of Rehoboam, when faced with a decision, and we all will be, I wanna give you three steps to take when you need wisdom to decide, and the first is this, start with God. You know, one of the things that struck me about Rehoboam's story, at least what we read in scripture, is that he never prayed. He, he never went to God, he never sought wisdom from spiritual advisors, instead he went about seeking wisdom on his own. Now I know this seems so simple, like we're in church, of course start with God. But I actually find it's difficult to put into practice. You know, I wonder if sometimes we forget to start with God because we think our decisions are, are too trivial or unimportant. Or maybe we get so busy trying to decide on our own that we've forgotten to include and start by asking God first. But scripture is so clear. This is a great verse. God will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond. Ask. God wants to help. Now, personally, I haven't always done this well. In fact, 10 years ago, when my wife Emily and I first got married, we took our first ministry positions at a church in Las Vegas. But a couple years in, we were ready to come back to Minnesota, and so I applied to attend a seminary here in the Twin Cities, and I received a full ride offer. Um, so we gave our two weeks notice, we put our house up for sale in Las Vegas, we packed up all of our belongings, and we were set to leave, but a couple days before we were set to move from Vegas back to Minnesota, I received a call from the seminary, and they said, uh, John, we've made a mistake. I said, oh yeah? They said, yeah, we offered 10 full ride scholarships, but really we only had money for seven. I said, well, what number am I? <laughs> they said, well, you're number eight. I said, we've quit our jobs, we sold our house, we're all set to move, so, so now what are we supposed to do? And they said, sorry? Needless to say, I pulled my admission, but we decided in that moment to move back to Minnesota anyways with no school, no job, and no plans. And that started a two-month frantic process of trying to make decisions on our own. I mean, I applied for any job I could apply for. I explored all kinds of ministry positions. I chased every lead. Frankly, Emily and I felt desperate and lost, which is not a great place to be when you're trying to make great life decisions. However, eventually we both got hired for roles actually out in California. Emily as a resident director at a Christian college and myself as a pastor of junior high students. Now, looking back, did God want us to take those jobs out in California? It's hard to say. I'm not even sure if we asked him. But they were jobs, they came up at the same time, and so our response at the time was, sure, let's go do that. But now this seems crazy to recollect, but the day that I was supposed to fly out to California and begin my new job out there, my older brother Ryan, who I've always looked up to for wisdom and advice, he's nine years older, was adamant that I spend time talking to two people, Gus, who was this older, wiser father figure mentor in my life, who I'd known several years, another man named Rick, who was president of another local seminary. Now, I was reluctant to have this conversation because we were determined to go to California, but eventually, I agreed. And after hearing the wisdom of these two men and what they were saying about my decision, I decided to call my future employer out in California for just a one-week pause before officially moving. 
However, when I called my future employer out in California, they called me back and said, John, you clearly aren't gonna work hard. I haven't asked for a day off in three years. You are already asking for a week off. We actually don't want you to come anymore. Now, God clearly protected us from maybe what would have not been a great situation, but at the time, this conversation knocked the wind out of us. Once we finally gathered ourselves, sought some more counsel, that's when two months later, it finally hit us. We had not been including God. See, we had gotten way out ahead of God and we were dragging him behind our decision-making. So finally, after two months of just frantically trying to make decisions on our own, without God's wisdom, we paused, we stopped, and we started by asking God for his help. I mean, sure, we kept actively searching for solutions, but we were determined in that season to not get out ahead of God. After spending a few more weeks in prayer, we felt like God wanted us to stay in Minnesota, and that's when we both accepted ministry positions here at Eagle Brook Church, and that decision, once we were willing to ask God for help, became one of the very best decisions in our lives. It's a season of life where we learn to not get out ahead of God. Now, let me ask you, are there any decisions where you are already out ahead of God? where you are dragging him behind your decision-making. Maybe today you're facing a decision about who to date, where to apply, what to do as a parent, or when to retire. Stop what you're doing and start by asking God. When you do, trust that he will be guiding and leading your decisions and providing you wisdom. Start with God, most important. Second way to find wisdom is this. Walk with the wise, you know, um, Rehoboam ended up going with the advice that his young friends had given him. And it was these young friends he'd grown up with and, and they told him to tell the people this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. You know, this is the Hebrew version of yo mama, yo dada trash talk, you know? I mean, here's the thing, Rehoboam's were foolish inexperienced, hot-tempered trash talkers. I mean, think about some of your high school friends, you know. Would you listen to them today if they were giving you advice many years later? Probably not. But how often would we rather go with the decision that makes us look good with our peers? The approval of peers is a powerful force, whether you're 10, 40, or 80. That's why if you wanna become wise, you gotta walk with people who are wiser than you. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Now, honestly, I have by no means always made great decisions. In fact, I made some really dumb ones the first couple years of college. But that was the season in life where I, was, where I had one, just one Christ-following friend. Not to blame just them, but that was a season where I had very little good influence in my life, but I've also made some great decisions. Think about all the decisions I had made in life, and more often than not, those great decisions were a direct result of walking with people who were much wiser than me. I can't even take credit for them. These were, this was wisdom from not just wise people, but godly people. When I need financial advice, I've turned to people like Evan Sean Doran, 
who are godly stewards of financial wisdom. I'm currently taking Financial Peace University with 70 other Eagle Brook staff so that we can learn from financial expert Dave Ramsey. When I needed relationship advice in my early 20s, my brother and sister-in-law gave me a swift kick in the rear to pursue a godly Christ-following woman named Emily McNamara rather than the riffraff I'd been pursuing. And if any of those ex-riffraff are listening, I'm not talking about you, okay? <laughs> but marrying Emily was one of the best decisions in my life, but it was because of my brother and sister-in-law encouraging me to pursue her. When I've needed career advice or advice on how to better follow Jesus, I've spent countless hours talking to people like Bob, Jason, Tyler, Jennifer, Gary, my sister Erin, my brother Ryan, learning how to grow as a leader and as a follower of Christ. We're also in a small group with five other couples so that we can learn from each other, and I'm also an avid reader. I try to read the Bible almost every day, not always perfect at this, but I also try to read two to four great ministry, leadership, personal growth books. Now, why would I do all that? Because I wanna walk with the wise to become wise. Those are my companions. I can't make great decisions on my own. I need all the help I can get. Who are you walking with? You know, I wonder today if some of the issues you are experiencing are not really because of desire or want to. Maybe it's because you're walking with too many fools. That's not my word. That's the Bible's. So take it up with God, okay? But maybe you want to get clean, but your friends are fools who spend every weekend night partying. Maybe you're stuck in a rut, but your roommates are cynical, negative drags who are constantly bringing you down. Maybe you're set to face an empty nest or you're set to retire, but your circle is filled with people who are desperate to bring superficial excitement to their lives. Pastor Andy Stanley says it this way, your friends, no matter how old you are, will determine the direction and quality of your life. You just won't become wise by walking with fools. What happens when you walk with the wise? Well, we're able to see with more clarity, live with more discipline and discern the right way forward. A couple weeks ago, I was really gripped by the story of the soccer team from Thailand who became trapped while exploring caves on June 23rd. This is a soccer team of 11 to 16-year-old boys along with their 25-year-old coach. They weren't even discovered until nine days later. But because of flooding and navigating difficult terrain and tunnels, they were unable to be immediately rescued. And it was eventually determined that the best way to get them out was to pair each one of these boys with two expertly trained divers. One of these divers would swim next to the boy while carrying their oxygen tank guided by a rope, and the other diver would swim close behind. The entire journey out, if you're following this story, was two and a half miles and took them five to six hours. The most dangerous part of this journey was when they had to separate from the diver, climb up onto a dry piece of land that was about 15 inches in width, and then dive back into the water before the divers could join up back with them. Now, miraculously, all 12 of these boys, along with their coach, were rescued. But I was thinking... I mean, the only reason these boys were rescued was because these expertly trained divers were guiding, 
coaching and directing every step of the way, every scary situation, every jagged rock, every potential danger. These experts were there to say, this is what you need to avoid. This is the step you need to take. This is the way forward. I mean, how much more wisdom would we have in life if we had people like these expertly trained divers to guide us along? And I'm here to say we do. In the Bible and scripture, this is filled with story after story of people who have made mistakes and God is saying, this is what not to do, like Rehoboam who didn't start with God, who made some bad decisions. It's also filled with people who made great decisions. There is so much wisdom in here. We also have books, countless books, and of course, people in your life who are wiser than you. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Finally, third way to find wisdom is this. Now, I, need, I know this seems so elementary, but it's listen to and apply wise counsel. Here's the thing. Once you start with God, once you walk with people who are wiser than you, you actually need to listen to and apply what they say to do. But here's the thing. Rehoboam didn't do that. He had wisdom. His father Solomon had worshiped God, but Rehoboam did not apply what wise people said to do. You know, one of the fears of my generation, and I'm speaking on behalf of millennials here, I'm 34, is that we're growing up without truly listening to the wisdom of the generations who've come before us. I mean, why would we? We've grown up in a Google world. I mean, no longer do I need to ask my dad on how to landscape a yard, fix a car, ask a girl out, or choose a profession. We've got Google. I thought this was really interesting. I actually Googled what the most how-to Googled phrases were of 2017. Maybe this is interesting. These are the kind of things that people are looking up. Number one, how to tie a tie. Who wears a tie anymore? But anyways, how to kiss. Ugh. Anyways, how to get pregnant, how to lose weight, how to draw. I'm not sure if four-year-olds are looking this up or not, but I think we know how to draw. How to make money, get a job. Then we turn into breakfast foods here. This is really interesting. How to make pancakes. Is it right on the back of the biscuit? Anyways, but how to write a cover letter. It ties into the job. How to make French toast. A lot of breakfast here. And of course, because we're looking up how to make breakfast, how to lose belly fat. It's really interesting to me. <laughs> Top 10 phrases of, of what people are looking for. But it seems like we don't really need the wisdom of older generations. I mean, we've got Google. And while Google does help, and I'm you know, grateful for those kinds of things, I was starting to think, as I was studying this message and reflecting on this, I was thinking about the people that I want counsel and wisdom from. Job 12, 12 says this, wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. Now, now let's be clear. Wisdom is not always about age. There are some truly unwise old people. <laughs> But there are also people who are wise beyond their years. But for the most part, the people I want to listen to are those who've lived some life. They've walked with Jesus for many years. Maybe life has knocked them down, beaten them up, bruised them a little bit. But you know what? They got up again. And now because of that, they walk with this humble, figurative limp. Like they don't have all the answers. Probably a literal limp too because they're old, but you know. They're humble, they're, they're quick to listen, they're generous and kind, they're slow to speak, they're full of wisdom because they've lived life. 
So I sat down with my friend Roger just recently, and I got to know Roger a couple years ago, almost to the day, when I had the honor of officiating his wife's funeral, um, a wife that he spent 66 years with. And over the last couple years, because of that first meeting with Roger, we've sat down numerous times to just reflect on life so I could ask him questions, and he is one of the wisest people that I know. And so this time, I brought a camera crew with so that you could watch the conversation as well. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Oh, Roger. Good to see you. Hi. Hi. Good to Come see you. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Well, thanks, Roger, for sitting down and having a conversation with me. I'm talking about wisdom. And when I thought of this message, I immediately thought of you and the friendship that we've had over the last couple of years. Because who better to learn from than someone who's lived how many years? 91. 91 years. You know, as you reflect on your life, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way that you wish people knew? Well, for the young people, I would say, continue to educate yourself. I don't care what you're doing, you can always add to that education. I never quit. And bring the Lord into your life in a very significant way. I always felt that he was my partner. The other thing I, with people is that you gotta study the word. If you don't read it, you aren't gonna live it. Well, these pictures here are the grandchildren. How many grandchildren do you have? Seven. Yeah? And this oh, wow. is my family right there. Okay. The three kids. Yep. Looking back over the years, is there anything that you regret or wish you would have done differently? I don't, I don't really have any regrets. I made some decisions that were difficult at times. It's a learning experience, John. Sometimes you, make, you do things that after a while you find it didn't really work out the way you planned. I probably should have married my wife sooner. <laughs> How old were you when you got married? <laughs> oh, we were 22 and 23. 22, you so. can't get married much younger than that. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, these are pictures that my wife and I, when I first got to know her, she was a uh, baton twirler for the band. Mm. Yeah, she was a doll, John, a real cutie. <laughs> and I liked her. <laughs> That's a picture that we use for the funeral, you remember? Yep. Beautiful. A lot of good memories. A lot of good memories. So Marilyn passed away in 2016. You were married for 66 years. My wife and I are coming up on our 10-year anniversary in August, so we're still 56 years behind you and Marilyn. But what were some of those keys to a great relationship? Spend time together. Uh, even if it's just... Uh go to uh, McDonald's and have a hamburger together, something where you're, you're together. And I think being honest, you know, sharing your disappointments, your joys uh, from the heart. Marilyn and I found great joy in serving the Lord. We looked to the Lord for direction in our lives and that was key, I think, to our, our marriage. What was your and Marilyn's favorite thing to do together? In early life, we love to dance. Mm. We went to a lot of dances, and we really enjoyed being together and doing that. There's one picture here that is very special in my heart. It signifies and shows, I think, 66 years of love and marriage. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for young people to listen 
not just to you, but to older generations in general? They've experienced many, many different things which they can pass on to you at no cost. And it may save you from going through some of the hardships in later life that are costly. It's the common knowledge to know, I've lived through that, John. I know what you're feeling. I know your heartache, but here, this is what I did. May help you. And this can be marriage, it can be job, it can be relationships with uh, kids or whatever. Uh, look to some of the people that have lived it. Well, Roger, I, I do really appreciate um, the time that we spent here, but also the last couple of years and the time that we've spent together. The impact you've had on my life, just to see your love of your family, your love of um, Marilyn, and your love of the Lord has been really, really inspiring to me. Thank you for your time, thank you for your friendship, and just uh, love you lots and appreciate all that you're doing. Pleasure's been all mine, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, this life is, is too valuable to not seek all the wisdom that you can find. The decisions you make today determine the stories you tell tomorrow. So what story are you gonna tell? You know, if you don't mind, I'd like to speak to the older generation really quickly. Now, I'll let you define older. You know, I'm 34, he's 91, so somewhere in there, okay? You can define that yourself. But we need your wisdom. We do. We need you to speak life and truth, also to listen and learn. Maybe your most important decisions are behind you. Maybe this should be your prayer. Like King David prayed in Psalm 71, he said, so even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. We need your wisdom. And I was thinking about all the people in my life who represent this older generation to me, people at this church, people like Roger, but people like Jan, people like Barb, people like Dan and Marlene, people who have been around forever, who have been such the foundation of this church. They have stuck around to proclaim the might of God to another generation. And on behalf of, of this church, thank you. But for everyone here, maybe you're facing a decision. Maybe it's a bunch of smaller decisions that are looming up over you. What, what is that decision that comes to mind? Ask yourself, have you asked God? Start by asking him right now. Say, God, I want your help with. God wants to help. He will surely respond. And think about the people in your life who are influencing those decisions. If they're fools, might be time to find some more counsel. Plus, you've got all kinds of wisdom through scripture and books and other people in your life. But then finally, once you listen to what they're saying and start by asking God, do what they say to do. If you do those things, God will come through when you need wisdom to decide. Hey, next week, Pastor Bob is back after a six-week speaking break. He's always a little feisty when he gets back, so we invite you and all of your friends to come back next week. But let's all stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God of wisdom, 
a God who wants to help. There's nothing too small or too trivial that you don't want to help with. And I'm so grateful for that. Myself, I'm trying to get better at coming to you for wisdom, for help with all kinds of decisions. I'm thinking about some right now that are just weighing on me, God. So I want your help. Will you guide and direct me? Thank you for providing wisdom through your word, through the people in scripture who some made bad decisions, some made great decisions. But God, you provided it all for us. Thank you for the older generations who continue to faithfully serve you, to provide wisdom for someone like Roger who continues to speak life and truth. God, we are grateful. And then finally, I do think about all those decisions that are just hovering over our church and people's lives, some really weighty decisions, what to do with parents, what kind of healthcare to provide, what decisions to make about school or where to attend, what, what decisions about jobs or what to do in relationships, God, as a parent. There are so many decisions, and God, all of those we lift up to you. We wanna be a people who are guided by true wisdom, and that true wisdom comes from you alone, God. So guide each one of us to make the decision that you want us to make. We hand those over to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for coming, everyone. We'll see you next week.